These are the reasons I wrote the book. It wasn't about me. The glass ceiling is certainly still there. There is the old saying that when one door closes, another one opens, but it's hell in the hallways. And sometimes Mm -hmm. just waiting for that door to open or seeing what it's opening to is the big challenge, isn't it? Welcome to Elder Wisdom, stories from the Green Bench, a place for sharing our histories, talking about current concerns, and really just reconnecting in all of the best ways. I'm Erin Davis, and along with my co-host Lloyd Hetherington, we get to sit down here every two weeks on the Green Bench with the most interesting people, from very funny folks to broadcasters to writers and activists. And you know, almost all of them are residents of Schlegel Village's retirement and long-term care residences. These are the people in your neighborhood, as they used to sing on Sesame Street, only here... It's a senior circle. Take Lloyd, for example. At 86, he's a father, widower, grandfather, retired educator, and a man of faith who doesn't preach but is blessed with a whole lot of wisdom that he's not afraid to share. I love Lloyd, and you will too. And I wouldn't have met him had it not been for this virtual green bench. Oh, there are real ones. You'll find them at Schlegel Villages. But this podcast is where we gather virtually, sagely and safely distanced, but connecting. Always connecting. As we do today with Donna Duncan. Our guest says that there is not a single country in this big, wide world of ours that has figured out how to eliminate ageism. That's one of the things we'll be discussing with Donna who is CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, Canada's largest association of long-term care homes, and the only one in Ontario that represents the full mix of long-term care operators. She is passionate and has a lot to say. So let's move over and welcome Donna Duncan to the Green Bench today. Donna, welcome. And uh, Lloyd, I know that if we could sit on a real bench with Donna... You would have some thoughts about what you want to say to the CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association. And I don't think that it's a list of grievances at all. But do you have anything in particular that you would want to bring up with Donna? Because, hey, it's your podcast. So do you want to start with that? Yeah, let's do that. I have a very firm conviction that the long-term care is so important to the way of life of so many as our population ages, there'll be many more of us in that category that are looking for care. And we are stretched to the limits in so many, many ways. We don't have enough accommodation for all who require the care. As far as staffing is concerned, we're very short of staff. And so there are the very great challenges that are being faced. So I'm grateful for people like Donner who head up an organization that is looking at long-term care and making proposals and helping to dream dreams for the future. I'd love to talk to her about some of those dreams, what she hopes to see accomplished. Well, there you go, Donna. And uh, Lloyd has set the table so beautifully. So please welcome in. And how about some of those things that Lloyd mentioned? 
Well, thank you so much for your kind words, Lloyd, and and but also for your understanding. And uh, you know, I first encountered long term care when my grandmother went into long term care in the nineteen eighties, and at that time she had tea parties and uh, people drove their cars in and they could come and go. And then my father was in long term care with end stage Alzheimer's in uh, from uh, two thousand and from 1999, actually, until 2004, I believe it was. And so he, he went in there and, with dementia, and, and that's where he died and passed away. And and so I I do bring a very personal view to uh, what it is, mm-hmm. uh, what it could be, and how we could make it better. And I, I think, to your point, Lloyd, uh, we have dire, dire staffing shortages. Our buildings were built in the 1960s and 70s in many cases, uh, they're not built for the people who, who live in them today. Uh, our residents have higher care needs. And and as we've learned through the pandemic, we've really been cut out of the healthcare system. And I, I think it's been that tension between what is a home versus what a care environment is. Mm. Um, and I would love it. Uh, my dream is that we not lose the impact on those lives that were lost uh, through the pandemic, but rather recognize that they shone a light on this the problems that we have and the things that we need to fix so you know as as we work with our members and with our families and our residents we actually dream of a day where it's okay to go into long-term care where people aren't frightened and families don't feel guilty and staff take great pride and that they're it, physical living environments where people want to be. They want to live, they want to work, where there's enormous dignity. And I am so proud of our frontline staff and all that they have done and our leaders and getting us through uh, and stabilizing our sector over these coming months. But we really do dream that this is a moment of a great reset. Uh, Population over 80 is going to double in the next 13 years in Ontario alone. And we have a shortage of nurses. We have shortages of doctors. We're not going to be able to grow enough. So um, it's it's a pivotal moment today. So let's reimagine it, but let's rebuild it uh, and, and rethink it, almost deconstruct it uh, together with our residents, with their families and our frontline staff and um, seize the day. You know, we, there's no going back. And I think that's the greatest opportunity that we have before us. And I think anything's possible, especially if we work together. It sounds like you've got a plan in mind, but when does it go from blueprints to reality? And what are we waiting for with these changes, Donna? You know, so so often public policymakers think that uh, things are too complicated. When I look at organizations like Schlegel Village and the work that uh, Ron Schlegel has, has developed with his vision for what care environments could be, from living uh, in independent living, through in retirement, through more assisted living, through intergenerational programming, to bringing restaurants on site, and really building out those campuses of care that are really mission-driven and that really are about people. 
And uh, I think we've already started on a path. We've started to see more specialized programming for dementia care, both in retirement, assisted living, uh, but also in long-term care. We're starting to see uh, different partnership models. Uh, Again, I'm going to speak to a model Schlegel Village has developed uh, in the GTA, where they're partnering with a number of hospitals to support the transfer of of hospital patients who have those um, more aggressive uh, responsive behaviors who normally wouldn't be able to be well supported in a long-term care environment but through an innovative partnership with community hospitals and specialized hospitals Schlegel is now being building out this this model where they're going to be supported by uh, hospitals uh, geriatric psychiatrists and geriatricians and others and are getting one-to-one funding to ensure the safety and well-being of those patients who are becoming residents and we're seeing them thriving absolutely thriving in this home environment. So we've started. We have more work to do. Uh, We need to make sure we've got a real balance around what is a home with dignity and what is what is a care environment and and we saw some hiccups during the pandemic where hospitals came in and took knitting away from people and said they couldn't have plants or photos or or uh, personal oh. possessions uh so i think we can learn from that uh, but but i believe we've started and that the pieces are are really going to come in place that the key we don't want is a crackdown on compliance and more inspections i, I think if we can free up the homes to reimagine what care can be in partnership uh, with residents and families, uh, anything's possible. Uh, Donna, I live in a Schlegel village in the retirement section, and I'm amazed that they don't come around and say, this is the answer, here's how it's done. Rather, they say, here are the questions, now let's find the answers. And we have a session coming up in a couple of weeks we're, we're going to be rethinking what has happened. We're going to be asked, staff and residents, what, what about the future? So I, I, I think we're moving in the right direction because we have an obligation to help shape our future as well. And I, I'm thrilled with the openness of the Schlega Village here, where they are more than willing to hear us out and uh, to say yes, no, or maybe to our suggestions but they certainly are open to our dropping in at any time and saying, let's talk about such and such. That's such a wonderful tone and approach, uh, asking questions. What I found, and and I used to work in the mental health sector, so I've only been in the long-term care sector working with the association for two years, uh, just prior to the pandemic arriving. Uh, But what really struck me was government took all of the answers and everything has been imposed on our homes, including what what do you want to have for dinner, when you have to eat in a long-term care home, uh, what you're going to eat, when you're going to have a bath, uh, the size of a scoop of food. Uh, And I I think we've got to push back a little um, and reimagine as we think about the baby boomers who are ultimately going to be coming into our homes um, when when they really need uh, more specialized support. This is a generation of people who have, you know, 172 different ways that they can order coffee. I'm not <laughs> sure that they're going to take what we're selling right now. <laughs> That's right. I'm always so glad to see the specialized coffee maker in my dad's little cafe in his residence because it's like, oh, good, I'm not drinking the stuff in the dining room, which I'm sure is fine for them, but mama needs her espresso. 
So, you know, just having that little bit of freedom and that choice, and it, it does make all the difference between the freedom of long-term care and more of a penitentiary or some kind of a punishment or penal mindset that so many people, I think, perceive that long-term care can be, and maybe in some cases has been. Yeah, yeah there's been so much stigma. And, and again, I, I hearken back to my days in the mental health sector. I never thought that it would take a pandemic for two of my my great causes, uh, mental health and long-term care and seniors care, to really come to the forefront. But the the recognition of the stigma and the guilt that people feel, uh, you know, mental illness is invisible, but aging is more visible. And, um, you know, I think it's time that we take pride in our aging process and that we don't isolate people as we age. You know, I was speaking to somebody uh, on our podcast Laura Tamblin Watts from Can Age, and she was talking about her experience with her kids, where she has three kids about a year apart, and they're all in different swimming sections. And why don't we look at people more holistically and look at intergenerational programming and look at people who have common interests as opposed to uh, defining them by a, a specified age group? There are a lot of really, really young 80 year olds. Yeah, well, we've got a really young 86-year-old here (laughs) co-hosting this podcast. And I'm talking about you, Lloyd. Awesome. (laughs) It's mind-boggling to me that where the leading demographic is boomers, and boomers itself is a term that's being used as a pejorative in some cases. How do we change the narrative when we're the ones with the buying power, we're the ones with the numbers, we should be the ones who have the most say. How do we go about changing that? And I know your podcast, Coming of Age, and we're definitely going to talk about that, Donna, but how else can we do this? Well, And, and it's not a unique discussion to Ontario and Canada. Mm-mm. I've been having this discussion with my colleagues in uh the European Union and the UK and Australia and the United States, and none of us have figured it out. Um, but I agree with you, Erin. I think the it's the, the baby boom generation that is going to find its voice and redefine itself. And I'm hopeful that we'll see a mobilization of people who are unwilling to accept the status quo, who are completely going to redefine what aging and aged care looks like on a go-forward basis. I think we've all been a bit too complacent. Uh, And I would say even as somebody who spent my time working around government and doing advocacy, when I was supporting my parents in their aging journey, uh, I I wasn't as vocal as I I think I ought to have been in retrospect. So I I think this is a moment for a movement and uh, a moment to rebrand what aging can look like and and to rebrand what that full continuum of care looks like where long-term care is just not a box which is a final destination but rather it's it's part of a, a longer-term journey that we all shape and inform. I agree with that Donna. Someone has got to speak to my generation because in many ways we have helped to create this ageism in my grandfather's day, for instance, he was the authority figure. He spoke and they listened. People respected him. But during the time when the boomers came along, and even my generation, we surrendered so much. At one time, we were the fount of knowledge, and we'd say, this is the way things should be done, and they'd do it. And then we'd look to say, wow, look at those kids with all of the electronic stuff. We haven't got a clue what they're doing, and we're at a loss. We say, 
what knowledge can I pass on to these kids? And then we had attitudes, and we recognized that some of those values that my grandfather would enforce with vigor, we began to question, like racism and sexism and so on. So we've got to rethink uh, a lot, of, a lot of things, so that we can recognize that we do have value, we do have something to share, but it may not be in the realm of the knowledge, may not be in the realm of some of the attitudes, but honesty, integrity, genuine interest in people, those things we've got to bring to the forefront, and we've got to take the lead in sharing those concepts. Absolutely. And I, I would argue it. we've got to bring back respect and we've got to find that, that voice of we, where we work collectively together and learn from one another and don't feel that any one generation actually has all of the answers. You know, I couldn't help but think throughout the pandemic, especially those first and second waves when we were just seeing the lockdown in our, our long-term care homes and our retirement communities. When I think of people like you, Lloyd, uh, I think of people who helped build not only your families, but, but your communities. And yet mm -hmm. here we were just locking people up and not allowing you access to your families and your friends and not necessarily giving you a voice either in terms of what level of risk are you willing to bear? And the government made that risk assessment uh, for you and for our residents and in other retirement communities and, and care settings. I think that there's a great deal of finger pointing that goes on in both directions, if I may, dealing with the Gen Z and the millennials and even Gen Xers to some extent, pointing fingers at the baby boomers and beyond uh, the greatest generation as they are known to those who served in the Second World War and even prior to that and saying, look, you caused climate change. You brought this about. You're to blame for this. And then the older end of the demographic pointing back and saying, you don't want to listen to what we've got to say. You guys have constantly got your noses buried in your devices. You're parenting your children all wrong. It's just the combative stance that seems to exist. And I think Donna and Lloyd, you're both 100% right that there has to be so much more we in this and less compartmentalizing in the whole mm -hmm. demographic picture. I agree with you there, Erin. I would love to see a child care center here at, the, oh. at our Schlegel village. It would just be so wonderful to see the uh, caregivers for the children and the children around. It would give a life and a vitality here that uh, sometimes we feel is missing. And it would give us a chance to dialogue with the parents and... Uh, hear where they're coming from and the challenge that they're facing raising their children, and perhaps to even share a concept or two ourselves about, well, perhaps you should consider such and such. We've got to break down the barriers between the generations. There's, there's no doubt about that. That makes such a difference. I'm, I'm going to hearken back to my past life when I used to run a, a large children's mental health agency in Toronto, and we had a, a residential program for teenagers who had mental illness. And everybody was, was always very clear that we couldn't have the kids meet together with their parents. We had to keep them separate or, or their other caregivers. And uh, on one occasion, we had a, a very illustrious fellow uh, named the Right Honourable David Johnston, oh, yes. uh, former Governor General, right. come to visit us together with his wife Sharon and one of the conditions of meeting with us was that he wanted to meet with the kids in the program 
and their parents together. Hmm. And it was so validating because His Excellency and Her Excellency spoke about being grandparents and children. They talked to the kids about creativity and storytelling. Uh, They shared their stories. The kids shared theirs. The adults shared theirs. There were a lot of tears in the room. But it was the first time that everybody really heard the other side. And, you know, we can learn so much. And that was such a pivotal moment for me in the mental health space Mm -hmm. where having the openness and the candor and the transparency was so validating for everybody. And I have to say, it was a real turning point in our organization and how we engaged and worked with one another. And I would love to figure out how do we harness that and not lose that. And I love, Lloyd, what you talk about in putting childcare. Imagine if you could have intergenerational programming, daycares, even having student housing on your campus. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be wonderful. I just think that'd be so exciting to have some of the students living here among some of our workers here. We have the students from university, and I delight in talking to them about their fields of education and what their hopes are and what their aspirations are. And I find it so inspiring just to talk to them. And one of my delights is when one of the students brought her thesis to me so I could read through it and comment. So I would love to see students on the place and student housing. It would be fantastic. Yeah, I think it would be great. I I, want to ask you a question, Lloyd. Do you ever ask the students either why they are doing a thesis and and studying aging or if they're new new students who are doing rotations where they haven't decided yet whether they will come and work in a senior care setting? I haven't asked that question per se, but I've commented more than once on some of the uh, team members here who have willingly chosen sometimes to take a gap year to come and work full-time for us when already they have a degree and they could be working elsewhere. But they just they, they love blending into the environment. And I, I find many of the servers here take our care first and serving the meals secondary. They, they treat us with a real priority here and... I I delight in that. That's wonderful. I love that. And it shouldn't be the exception. I mean, when we look at the idea of seniors and a child care, like my my grandson did that in his very early preschool years. His preschool was held in a senior's home, so they would have a little bit of interaction, which was wonderful. But honestly, we only need to go back 100 years, maybe less, when there was one, two, three generations living under the same roof. Mm -hmm. And there was this respect for the elder generation because they did know things. They knew answers to things that you wouldn't just Google. They'd go, yeah, you know, you should get that looked at or no, we can put something on that and it'll get better. But we've lost that, unfortunately. And now it's the exception. It's like some rare exotic animal at the zoo if you get a chance for a child to be with somebody who's older than 75 or 80. Mm-hmm. We've got to find a way, you know, and uh, to your point, yes. I, like, how do we break down that segmentation and the breakout of the, the branded generations and really find that common voice and that sense of common purpose where we're all problem solving together? I think we're at that moment and I'm I'm hopeful that our political leaders will will get some leadership that will try to unite us as well.
Well, you talk about this being an exciting moment to reimagine aging as a society. So let's blue sky here, Donna. What would you like to see, say, within the next five years in terms of how we move forward into more integration and the changes that you look at with more PSWs, physicians, rebuilding the sector and the workforce and being creative on meeting these needs, what would you like to see ideally? You know, today we need to free up uh, homes to reimagine what care can be in their local communities, working in partnership with their families and their residents, but also with other parts of the healthcare system. What does a community model look like? What can you build out in your local community? Mm -hmm. I'm We've been speaking to one of our members who's um, up north of Wyerton in Owen Sound in Ontario, so the Bruce Peninsula, and uh, it's a nonprofit home, and they're working with their local municipality where they want to build out a campus of care that has uh, housing on it for potential employees, but also, uh, to my earlier point, uh, students, college and university students, as well as putting a daycare on it, having a family care and ambulatory care care, like an outpatient clinic or urgent care clinic on the campus, have retirement, long-term care, but making sure that it's a mix. So it's not just entirely seniors, but then it's a community and it's anchored in the community and defined by the community. Well, as C.S. Lewis said, you know, you're never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. And one of the dreams that you've had that has come to reality just in the past few months, it launched in June the OLTCA podcast, Coming of Age. So let's listen to just a little bit of that, shall we? Just a few years ago, the number of seniors in Canada became larger than the number of children. This is the first time in over 150 years. And that number is set to grow exponentially as baby boomers enter their senior years. And while the COVID-19 pandemic exposed shortcomings of how we care for our aging population around the world, with tragedy comes hope. This is a moment of profound disruption, opportunity, necessity, and moral imperative. This is our moment, fueled by resilience, creativity, innovation, and urgency to reimagine and build systems of care for our seniors that meet their wants and needs. Donna, what was your inspiration and who do you hope is going to hear coming of age? Well, what really happened through the pandemic that really struck us is there were a lot of stories of darkness, of death, the media were very focused on the numbers and there was always a tally on the numbers, the numbers, the numbers. And together with our members, we spoke about the fact that behind every number was a human being, a, a person whose life had been lost, who had families and friends who had been touched by the loss of that life, a, an individual who deserved more than being just a number and, and whose life we should recognize and, and also uh, what they had contributed and recognizing that that's what our our older population has done. They built, as I said to Lloyd, it built uh, families and built communities. And that was getting lost for us. And as we were speaking with our colleagues around the world, um, the more we had these discussions, we realized that there were so many of us who were like-minded 
who were living parallel experiences. And it wasn't just about, you know, the fact that Ontario had a terrible long-term care system that was outdated and resulted in the tragic loss of life. We realized that nobody has really figured this out. Some are doing things better, uh, and there certainly are pockets of excellence. And so we wanted to start having that bigger discussion around aging and uh, take it out of the confines of this is the box that is Ontario. Let's take it out of the box of this is long-term care and uh, have a bigger and broader discussion around what the reality is, um, what do we think the solutions are, but then thinking more optimistically about what the possibilities are for the longer term. And I, I think we, I'll be honest, we were looking for something to anchor us in hope, uh, to move beyond what we'd been through. And it's, uh, so far, it's been really inspiring. I've had the opportunity to meet with some really remarkable individuals. People have been very, very generous with their time. And uh, we're really excited about what what the coming episodes will bring. We've got um, a leader from Australia coming on. We have someone from the United Kingdom speaking about their experiences. Uh, uh, The leader of the Global Aging Network, who uh, leads the largest association for aged care in the United States. And, you know, we're comparing notes. And I I have to say, we're trying to build a much broader community uh, where we really are coming together to find those like-minded individuals who who want to talk about the possibilities, who want to come together to transcend those divisions and um, see what we can do to, to build that movement. Wonderful. And of course, then the challenge is getting it out to people to hear it. And now you've had the green bench bump. So oh, you're welcome. You. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but Lloyd, when you tell people that you co-host a podcast, and you're in your mid 80s, what response do you get? And what do you have to tell them about how to find a podcast what it is, because I'm sure you've got the spiel down to an art now? What do you do? I find it a challenge, even yet. I'm thrilled that I'm part of the podcast system. I let the world know about it, and I tell them to uh, Google the Slavula Green Bench experience. I also carry a card with me that has the proper address so that uh, rather than try to explain it as a technophobe, I say, here it is. I hope you find it. You'll just love it when you do. Wow, what a great idea. Just leave them scattered all over the residence. That is a great idea. I have to tell you, I've been inspired by the Green Bench, and it is such a privilege to join you and just to learn from the stories on the Green Bench, though, and the wisdom that that you're imparting. Well, there's bounty enough for all. And in our books, the more people trying to get these messages that fear of dying is human, but fear of aging is cultural. I'm quoting Ashton Applewhite there. But also, you know, just making sure that as people age, they enjoy it. We're all putting so much effort into helping us get older and live longer lives. You know, hey, you could live to 110. Yeah, but what happens when you get there? It should be as enjoyable as it possibly can be. And you're trying to do that. And goodness knows that Lloyd is an amazing ambassador for everything having to do with aging. And we're all in this together, Donna. We absolutely are. And, and Lloyd, thank you so much for your leadership. And I just uh, really love your contributions on the Green Bench. And uh, you're a great inspiration for all of us. We're in it together. We have a message to get out. And the more voices we can find, the better it is. So you 
sound out the story on your podcast and we'll sound out the story on our podcast and we'll recognize that together the various voices make a beautiful choir. Oh, Amen. Here's to the wonderful. choir. Here's to the choir, How- Lloyd. We're grateful to Donna for being an advocate for seniors and for her work on the Coming of Age podcast, helping us all to meet the needs of our aging population. Because no matter what age you are, that's you. Join us next time on The Green Bench as we welcome Ray Brown. Hear how a serious family illness pointed him in his life's direction and the incredible experiences he had along the way. Look, I know you've got a lot of things on your mind, so here's a tip. Subscribe for additional episodes every two weeks, and you'll be notified just as soon as they're up. Share your thoughts and opinions on social media using hashtag elderwisdom to help everybody find us on this green bench. And please just take a moment to rate and review the Elder Wisdom podcast. If it's easier, go to elderwisdom.ca to find the link. And while you're there, be sure and sign the Elder Wisdom Pledge. On behalf of Lloyd Hetherington, I'm Erin Davis, and we both thank you for sharing in these life stories. We'll talk to you again soon, because your seat on the green bench is ready and waiting. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.